Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Sanctuary, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy needs, be it Dynasty, DFS or Redraft, we have got you covered. Today we are going to be walking through your Week 9 preview, every single matchup, every single fantasy relevant player that you need to know ahead of the games this weekend. And of course, we will be answering 100% of your questions live and in the comments afterwards. Tom, welcome in. We're going to dive straight in to the first matchup. Of course, it's the glamour tie. I don't know about you, it feels like this is a horror slate with about four good games. So we're going to get one of the good games out of the way early. Seattle at Baltimore, your Ravens. What do you make of this one this week? Yeah, this is the game which kind of, it feels hard to ignore in some ways because it's, not only does it feature so many of the players who we love for fantasy football, you know, your Mark Andrews, Lamar, DK Metcalf, Kenneth Walker, but there's also a lot of really interesting stuff going on here. Last week, we saw Zach Charbonnet have perhaps his most involvement that we've seen. We saw Pete Carroll come out this week, and like he was so effusive about Zach Charbonnet. He talked about how he just knows ball, how he gets it, how everything he does is great. So that's going to be really interesting to see how his involvement goes this week, whether Kenneth Walker loses any touches, because Kenneth Walker hasn't been doing anything wrong. We're also seeing Jackson Smith and Jigba being slightly more consistently involved. I believe it's back-to-back weeks where we've got <laughs> two touchdowns from him now. And that is an area where if you were going to pick on the Ravens, the slot is somewhere where they have given up points at times. So that's possible. But this Ravens defense is looking absolutely fantastic in terms of in DVOA. They're first on defense across the league and fourth on offense. So there aren't too many holes you can poke in what the Ravens are doing. The biggest problem for them seems to be their ability to just shoot themselves in the foot. For me and for Rory, I know who's in the chat and watching, when you're a Ravens fan and you're watching the games, there have been so many points where Lamar seems to be trying to force the ball to Odell Beckham. These plays where Odell's on the outside or you know they're going for that back corner a sort of fade in the end zone, and it just isn't there, but... Lamar seems desperate to get him involved, desperate to get him a touchdown. And perhaps that'll break right this weekend. I mean, the Seahawks allow the eighth most fantasy points to wide receivers. They allow the third most to slot wide receivers. The wide receiver on the Ravens who's consistently been in the slot the most has been Nelson Aguilar when he's been on the field. But last week he played a lot less than he had been doing. We're big fans of talking about the squeaky wheel narrative on this show. And... <laughs> Lamar came out with an absolute squeaker of a wheel yesterday talking about how he definitely wants to get Bateman going. He really wants to get him more targets. Bateman, for his part, he talked yesterday to reporters about how he felt like he's slowly getting back to his old self. It's easy to forget that he had Liv's Frank surgery, which isn't something easy to recover from. So, yeah, there's lots... Lots of ways you could attack this. The Ravens, they start fast. They've outscored opponents by 49 points in the first quarter, which is a league high. They get down of a red zone and they tend to be quite efficient there, apart from the game against the Steelers where everything was dropped. So I think if I'm stacking this game, I'll probably lean towards the Lamar Andrews side with one of the Seattle wide receivers coming back. It's just tricky because as much as DK Metcalf is seeing good volume and seeing good red zone opportunities, still the wide receiver 27, Lockett's the wide receiver 30, neither of them quite what we expect so far. And the Ravens allow the fifth lowest wide receiver catch rate. 
But if we're expecting the Ravens to push them, then we have to expect at least one of the Seahawks wide receivers to be able to get there. Yeah, I think you you mentioned uh, DK Metcalf there. He is a player that is consistently underperforming his volume. You look at any sort of metric. Um, I run an in-season wide receiver model, and and he's one of the guys that stands out of he's getting the volume, he's getting the high-value targets. I mean, the red zone usage is there. He's just underperforming at the moment, and that could see massive regression at, at any point. And I think generally it, it probably will do. And he's the kind of player that could blow up and, and have a really nice little stretch of games. It's interesting you're talking about those second and third wide receivers in this Baltimore offense. I think watching the film, Bateman looks better than I've ever seen him for the Ravens over the last two weeks. <laughs> and as a player, that as someone that's been very in on Bateman over the last two years, I've kind of reticent to put it into the ether and talk it into real, but watching the game, he looks smoother. He looks more agile. And I think that, as you said, maybe it is that he's just getting healthy, but yeah, I'm, I'm very excited by what I've seen the last two weeks, but I'm also conscious I've been burned a lot over the last few years. So maybe I need to call the Jets a little bit. Yeah. And the Ravens need that deep threat that we saw from Bateman last year against the Jets and uh, I forget it was in Miami where he also broke another one because of the one of only two teams in the league to have not scored a touchdown from outside the red zone. The only other one is the Falcons and the Ravens shouldn't be in any sort of category with the Falcons offensively. And it just feels like, you know, Zay Flowers, he was getting used a bit further downfield. Then once Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman were back out there, now he's kind of gone to that lower ADOT sort of role again. And if you're going to do that, that's fine. But to create space for Flowers when he gets a ball, you need somebody opening the top up at the back end of things. So it'd be great to see Bateman get a couple of deep shots. And I think, you know, the Seahawks safeties and secondaries, they're a good group. They're definitely not an easy team to pick apart. But yeah, I think there's plenty of reason for optimism that we'll get a good game out of this one. Yeah, definitely. We're going to dive across to the next matchup. So this is the Germany game. It feels like everybody in America is fuming right now that we're getting this game stupidly early over there. It is perfect for all of us. Half two on a Sunday. Ideal time. I'm very excited to sit down and watch it. Tom, it's a shame this game's not on the main slate because I feel like it could be one we're attacking. But for your redraft leagues, maybe even for that showdown matchup, is there a, a particular player, a particular matchup that you're you're looking forward to? It's Tyree Kill's revenge game. You, you know, there's certain players who you know they want to go out and have big performances. When Hill left the Chiefs, you know, there was a lot of people talked up the fact that you know, he was going to play with a lesser quarterback. And Hill, for his part, he's uh, continuously bigged up to her. And, you know, now this is one of the most fantastic offenses in the league. You know, they're both top five offenses in DVOA. So, I fully believe that we can see plenty of offensive production. It'll be very interesting to see how the Chiefs try and stop Tyreek Hill because their pass defense has been very good this season as well. Like they aren't the kind of Chiefs defense that we've seen over the last few years where sometimes it can be a little bit weak. Kansas City, they're third versus wide receiver ones. So if you look at that's in DVOA metric. So if you look at that on paper, you'd say, okay. Kansas City should be able to clamp Tyreek down, and then they rank 24th against wide receiver twos. So in theory, perhaps it's a Jalen Waddle week. Jalen Waddle last week 
racked up more receiving yards than Tyreek Hill. I think Tyreek Hill left the game briefly for a bit. And then on the other side of things for Miami, their defense, it's not been a strength this year, but it's getting healthier. They've got Jalen Ramsey back, Xavier Howard should be playing this week. I think that you can't forget how much of a help that is going to be for them trying to deal with the Chiefs. But really, I mean, Tyreek Hill gave the quotes today. Look out for Travis Kelsey. All you've got to do is look out for Travis Kelsey. I think last week and the week before, we've seen Rashi Rice have over 60% snap share in back-to-back weeks, and he's kind of really growing into that. Yeah, he's growing into that wide receiver role because the Chiefs just have nothing else there. You know, Pacheco, RB18, it was a disappointing game against the Broncos, but... Sometimes we kind of take it for granted that these divisional games can be a bit funky, even against a team who's been as bad all year as the Broncos have been. I think you probably have to start Raheem Moster if you need to. I mean, he's VRB5 on the season in points per game. It has dropped off over the last couple of weeks, and it seems like they're maybe pushing an effort to try and get Jalen Waddle going in that spell. But Moster has been brilliant this year. I think, you know, he's definitely going to have opportunities if the Chiefs are trying to really look after Tyreek Hill and take him out of the game. So, yeah, it it doesn't feel too difficult to interpret this one. Yeah, I I think for me, most of it's a a must-start. Like, I don't think, unless you're absolutely loaded, I'd be shocked if you can get away from most of it this week. He's running back 13 for me in my ranks this week, and I think that that's, you know, that there's going to be enough volume there. The thing I'm really excited about this game and it's probably not necessarily fantasy relevant, is this Miami offensive line. It's become a bit of a joke and I've become a bit of a troll of myself saying Miami can't be anybody good. But the reason they can't be any good is that their offensive line is horrendous. They have got four below average starters at the moment because of the injuries that they've got. And I think that depending on what Chris Jones and the Kansas City front seven are going to do is going to dictate what's going to happen in this game. If they can't hold up, it means that Tyreek's not going to be able to get open deep because two is not going to be able to hold the ball long enough. It means that we're going to have to see that A dot shrink and therefore it's not going to be as high value touches. So I'm praying that the Miami offensive line can hold up enough that this game can be the shootout that we're all hoping of and all dreaming of because, uh, yeah, it could be really, really interesting. Uh, somewhat of a, a glamour tie, shall we say. Um, we've got quite a few people in the comments it's amazing to see if you are watching live get your questions in get your comments in uh, we're going to answer a few of them now Tom uh, so Derek in the chat asking are we dropping Palmer for Johnston so I guess that's Josh Palmer for Quinton Johnston I'd guess I think one thing that was kind of glaringly obvious last week was that Josh Palmer wasn't healthy and, you know, he was in and out of the lineup. He probably shouldn't have played that game. And it kind of forced the hand to get Quentin Johnston involved. And he had his most productive game that he's had in the NFL so far. I think if you need points this week, I would feel more comfortable starting Quentin Johnston. But, I mean, we'll get to that game later. Like, the Jets are nobody's fool on defense. Um, I think I'd still be looking to see if I could find a different matchup that I could take advantage of instead. Yeah, absolutely. Jets are allowing the fewest points to wide receivers. So, yeah, I wouldn't start either of them this week. And I think that, to me, I still believe Palmer's got the uh, the role long-term. Uh, Dan, one of our, our YouTube members, he's asking, Tajay Spears, Alexander Matheson, Tavius Murray, Odell Beckham, Curtis Samuel, start who? 
<laughs> well, Kurt Samuel's looking like he's not going to play, so yep. I'd, rule, I'd rule him out immediately. Latavius I, Murray we can rule out because of the Bonnet signing, I think. Yeah, I think Alexander Matson's the one must play. It comes down to Odell versus Tajay, and I'd lean Tajay Spears. Yeah, I'd lean the Tajay Spears too. I don't feel confident enough in when we can predict anything with Odell Beckham. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then Bryce is asking thoughts on Deontay or Amari Cooper. This is Deontay smash for me. I've got him as a top 15 wide receiver this week. Yeah, I'd absolutely be on board with that. Amari Cooper has had some really positive points. I put him in this week's DFS right up in our Discord, which is for our YouTube members only. If you want to join, hit that join button below and you can access the full right up there. But for me, given a straight choice between the two, it'd be Amari Cooper. And if if you're happy with these answers, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We need to hit 1,400 this weekend. Absolutely. We'll dive across to the next matchup. Tampa Bay at Houston. Few people facing injuries. We're looking like Damian Pierce. News broke just before we came live that he's unlikely now to play Sunday. Does that change your thoughts on this matchup? I've got Damian Pierce in my home league, and honestly, I'm overjoyed at the fact that I don't have to play Damian Pierce this week. <laughs> Last week, watching the Texans get down to the inside the five. And Damian Pierce get that touchdown after like three attempts. It got called back on a completely inconclusive replay. And then the fullback takes it in for a touchdown. Okay, fine. That happens. But then they get back down there again later on in the game. And De uh, Damian Pierce should have had a touchdown. But the fullback, again to blame, decided not to block his guy. And Damian Pierce got stuffed. So... Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, what we've seen from Devin Singletary is he's been playing more than we would have liked. So for me, it's kind of easy to go. Damian Pierce is pretty much droppable in redraft at the minute, particularly if he's going to miss a week and you need to in shallow benches. He's the RB43. What we saw last year just doesn't exist under this offense with uh, Bobby Slowick as the offensive coordinator. They're just not counting on Damian Pierce the way that the Davis Mills Texans had to last year. And CJ Stroud, yes, he's kind of come back down to earth a bit with three sub-16 point games. But there were some tricky matchups in there. You know, New Orleans, we knew that game was going to be a tough one. Whereas Tampa Bay, I definitely don't think they're as tough as they used to have a reputation through the passing game. They've allowed the fifth most passing yards per game. They've let a bunch of wide receivers have really good performances. Nico Collins is another player I row up in the DFS column this week. So I like that. I think the Bucks wide receivers, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, are too expensive for me at over 7K. It's an ugly slate, and perhaps one gets there. Bacon, 36, 2.2%. It's just not enough. We kind of, he flashed at the start of the season, and then he's regressed in various statistics since. I'd feel much more comfortable playing Rashad White, who, even though he's still. Very poor in the running game. I think he's at like 3.3 yards per carry when last year he was at 3.7. He's making up for it in terms of the targets and the receiving work like we thought he would. He gets 4.3 targets per game, which is fourth most among running backs. So if you're looking for a bit of a small, cheap stack in DraftKings this week, CJ Stroud, Nico Collins with Rashad White as the bring back makes plenty of sense and it helps you get the money to be able to play someone like Alvin Kamara or AJ Brown, one of those kind of real studs.
Yeah, I love that. You don't you don't need to convince me much to to start Tank Dell and Nico Collins at the moment. I feel like I've uh, yeah, very excited about those. I think the the Tank Dell and Nico Collins is a really interesting dynamic because I don't know about you, we, we had the injury to Tank Dell, the concussion, we had the bye week. It's it's been a slow couple of weeks for Nico Collins as well. I feel like both of them are criminally underrated at the moment. I think that people are forgetting how good they were for that first sort of four or five weeks in the season and how good this offence could be for the next two, three, four years with CJ Stroud and those two receivers. I think if you're looking in dynasty circles, I think if you can go and sneak Nico Collins for, and frankly, anything less than a mid-first, I think that's a smash. And I think tanked out. I honestly think you can probably still get him for a second right now. So, yeah, I love those two as kind of, it's not by lows because I think it's just almost like by because people have forgotten about them. Yeah, definitely. I've got Nico Collins on a rebuilding team and I'm quite stacked at wide receiver and I've looked at trying to move him. And what I've found is that people generally don't want to pay the first round pick for him. And it's a little tricky getting that because people kind of haven't seen quite enough. But, I mean, yeah. We, he's the wide receiver 16 in points per game. Yes, he's had a couple of kind of down weeks, but on the whole, he's been very impressive. I think your point about what this Texans offense can be over the next few years is a fantastic one. And I'd be very happy to have Nico Collins on a dynasty team as my wide receiver three or possibly even wide receiver two over the next year, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Some more questions in chat. So Dan's come back and said... Would we start DJ Chark or Dante Foreman over Ty J Spears? Um, Foreman, yes. Chark, no for me. Yep, agreed. Yeah. Derek's back. He's got another question. He's saying send Chris Olave and Raheem Mostert for Justin Jefferson, Aaron Jones. He's six and two. Uh, he's got pretty loaded roster, quite frankly. So I guess it's a, you know, a, a kind of a, a bullying move of I'm loaded. I don't need the wins. Would you do that? Yeah. The only thing I'd say is if you can get Justin Jefferson instead of Aaron Jones, see if you can get somebody good like, you know, a tight end. Or... <laughs> Aaron Jones, whether it's injury or whatever, I mean, we'll get onto the Green Bay game next, but like he's been completely unimpressive. And I think that the Green Bay offense is going backwards. If you can find a tight end that maybe gives you a bit of depth because you stacked at running back already and you've got good wide receiver options, then I'd be more intrigued by that. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Um, Cam's following on from our, our Nico Collins point. He's saying he bought for a mid-first pretty quiet since then. I think that's still a good long-term play, absolutely. Uh, and then Rich, one of our other YouTube members, he's saying he's got a few shares of Aiden O'Connell on some taxi squads. Uh, are you holding or selling for a second? I think I'd sell for a second. I think you know what we saw from Aiden O'Connell was interesting it was kind of okay but i don't think there was enough there to suggest that he could even start every game for the rest of the season yeah i th i think for me with all of these you can answer this question across all of these kind of spot starting backup potential qbs whether it's jaron hall or aiden o'connell or you know frankly josh Dobbs or anything like that i think their value is a third i wouldn't sell for a third i think that the chance that they could be more I need a second. Aiden O'Connell, if I can get, you know, a second round pick for him, I think that has even at like a 15 to 20% chance of being something. I think that's a higher chance of being something than, uh, than Aiden O'Connell has, quite frankly. And then we've got some more questions. I'm loving this. Loving that you're all active in the chat. Get those questions in. 
I want to talk, I want to answer you. I want to help you. Uh, he's Rory, one another one of our members. He's saying Addison or Lockett. I presume that's this week. It's a tricky one with the Vikings uh, wide receiver situation. I think I'd probably just lean towards Addison, but it's really close. Yeah, I, I think I'd go Lockett just because. I don't know why, but I seem to be a lot lower on Jaron Hall than everybody else. I think everybody else seems to think that he's going to be decent. Um, I've I've got very low expectations. Uh, so, yeah, not, not many hopes on that. Moving across, the Rams at Green Bay. Now, this feels like this matchup could all pivot on whether Matthew Stafford's going to be able to play or not. We were having a chat before we came live. Do you think that he's going to sit out a week, got the bye next week, and that makes this matchup? one we don't really want to touch? It would make sense. It's going to be what a cold-weather game up in Green Bay. I assume that having a thumb injury in cold weather probably is less than ideal. Um, we know Matthew Stafford is a tough guy. We know that he doesn't like to miss games and he plays through injuries a lot. But for the Rams, I mean, the Rams are probably looking at trying to sneak in on a wildcard place to the playoffs. I don't think it makes sense to go out there now and risk aggravation when, frankly, you know, you could put Brett Ripien, the backup quarterback, you could yeah. put him in and possibly stand a chance against this Green Bay team who don't seem to be able to avoid, you know, getting out of their own way. I think what we saw from Green Bay earlier this season was incredibly impressive. You know, Jordan Love was driving the ball downfield not completing many passes, but it was enough and it was fantasy relevant. And what we've seen is that regressed, as you would expect it to. He's now the QB 14, Luke Musgraves tight end 26, Aaron Jones RB 30, Romeo Dubs wide receiver 40. Christian Watson is at 8.5 points per game over the last four games. And it's tricky because you want those home run hitters in your lineup. And if you bench Christian Watson and he goes off for a slate-breaking kind of score you're going to be kicking yourself after taking the L's that you've taken for the last four weeks. But I just don't view him necessarily as startable, even in this game against the Rams defense, but has kind of regressed slightly over the last few weeks. Cooper Cup, I'd be starting Cooper Cup. I know it's been rough. He's had 17 targets and only six receptions over the last two games. But when you look back over the course of his career, this is the first time that he's had... Uh, back-to-back -back games with less than 30 yards. Like, this is the first single-digit performance he's had in the last two years. I think that even if Matthew Stafford's out, I'd have enough confidence in him that I'd be starting him. The Rams running back situation, I'd still start Daryl Henderson. Royce Freeman seems to be mixing in, but seems to have less of a role than Henderson. Tyler Higby has been pretty uninspiring. He's tight end 21 in points per game. If you need to start him, I guess you could start him. Perhaps Brett Ripien comes in and sort of, you know, takes those layup shots. But yeah, and just the, uh, the Green Bay Packers running back room, like I said, Aaron Jones, one double-digit performance this year. He's had back-to-back -back games where he's only had 11 touches in each of them. Normally, we'd expect that to be much closer to 20, but whether he's still injured or they just want to try and get A.J. Dillon, who's a completely ineffective backup-level running back involved, I don't know, but whatever's going on, it's not working particularly great for the Packers. Yeah, and I think the thing that I'm looking for the Packers to do is we've got all these young options. We've got almost too many options. I feel like we need to just 
streamlining it a little bit. And they're going to say, right, we're going to be an 11 personnel offense. We're going to run with Musgrave, Reed, Watson, Dubs, and Aaron Jones. And, and let's see if we can get that and drive that forward. I think Luke Musgrave, we saw some hype early in the season. He had the concussion. He missed a few weeks. I'm intrigued to see if he's going to help kind of bring that spark into this offense. Um, I think that would be really interesting. Um, Cooper Cup, you said you've got to start him. I think, look, if you're Brett Ripien, you're probably out of your depth. What are you going to do? You're going to feed the ball to the guy that you know is always open, and that's Cooper Cup. So, yeah, the targets are probably going to be pretty low volume, uh, low quality, low value targets, but I think he could see a high volume. Um, and um, on the yeah, Brett and- Ripien, sorry, go on. I was just going to say on on Cooper Cup, this stat via Sharp Football, the Packers struggle against slot receivers, allowing 9.2 yards per target, which is the fifth highest, and giving up a league-high 9.1% touchdown rate to interior wide receivers. So everything points towards starting him. Yeah, absolutely. And on the the um, the other point is that obviously the Packers have just traded away Rizal Douglas, the corner. I know we're not going to talk a huge amount about that, but... That's, you know, a, a big piece out of this Packers secondary that is now shipped off to Buffalo. So the Packers secondary is even weaker than they've been so far through the season. But we were talking about Brett Ripien, and I think this is a really interesting point that I want to bring in here from Tarek, another one of our YouTube members. Welcome. If you want to be like Tarek and be a member, hit that join button. Um, he's saying, basically, we're getting all this hype around these spot start rookies that we've not seen. Um, he's saying, is it a new phrase, Purdied, because of the success he had last year from nowhere and people are always clamouring for that next guy? I think so. And I think it's always, there's something about the quarterback position in general that people like to romanticise and it's, you know, probably goes back to like the Tom Brady pick in the draft and stuff that guys can come out of nowhere and they can have these games. You know, like Tyler Huntley a couple of years ago was being bigged up as the next big thing and that all these teams should trade for him and really you know it comes crashing down sooner or later the thing we've seen with purdy is that purdy deserves more praise than he possibly gets but it's also that shanahan system if any of these players were playing in the shanahan system as we've seen over the years is really friendly to the quarterbacks then i'd have a bit more faith in that kind of situation but Sean McVay's offense probably isn't as quarterback friendly as that. I mean, you know, he likes being done in a very specific way. Yes, Baker Mayfield went in last year and had that fantastic performance straight off the plane. But generally speaking, I'm going to be a little bit more skeptical of those kind of players. Yeah, absolutely. For me, you know, I'm a numbers guy. I'm always going to lean back to that probability. And as I said, the chances that one of these late round rookie quarterbacks turns into the next Brock Purdy, we're probably looking at somewhere around 5%. The chances that that second round pick turns into a usable, valuable fancy option moving forward is around 15%. 15% is bigger than 5%. I'm always going to take the 15% over the 5%. So for me, I think if you can get a second round pick for pretty much any of these guys, I'm happy to take that. You know, We've seen let's be honest, more of the preseason hyped guys, Dorian Thompson, Robinson, Aiden O'Connell, when they have started, they looked abysmal, despite all the hype that they were getting in the preseason. So yeah, I'm I'm happy to to pivot, move off them. And yeah, it probably means I miss out on the next Brock Purdy, but it means I get an awful lot more second round picks than, uh, than your average Joe as such. Chicago at New Orleans up next. Is this, this is just Alvin Kamara week, isn't it? Let's be honest. 
I can't get away from Alvin Kamara in DFS whatsoever this week. As soon as I started looking at this slate, it was like, okay, well, everything here lines up for Alvin Kamara. The usage he's had, he's at 8.8 tights per game in his last five games. Bears allow most receiving yards per game, two running backs. I think it's obvious that Kendry Miller isn't quite as ready as we might have hoped. Jamal Williams is not healthy enough, but... Kamara's averaging 64 rushing yards per game, 45 receiving yards per game. He's finished inside the top 12 running backs every week that he's been available, and he's also finished inside the top five the last two weeks. Over the last two weeks combined, he's had 56 DraftKings points. It's just he's a cheat code in that format. You know, I think you have to lean into that. The Bears, again, are going to be without Justin Fields, so... I don't think I really want to start any of those players. Cole Komet, he's been up and down. He's at four temps. He's also at four So I don't think you can rely on that week in, week out, as you might want to at the tight end position. The Saints defense also allows the fifth fewest fantasy points per game to tight ends, along with like the second lowest catch rate to the position. And there's certain tight ends who I would start in those kind of matchups. You know, players like Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, Dallas Goddard. But Cole Komet isn't a player who I think can overcome excellent defensive coverage. Uh, Derek Carr, I'd call him a fringe starter this week on DraftKings in terms of Superflex leagues. You should feel pretty confident plugging him in as your QB2 or even QB1 if you hit by bye weeks. He's had four games with over 15 points in a row. And even though he's not the most accurate downfield quarterback, he drives the ball downfield, but he also takes all these layup passes to Kamara who can break them for big runs. So I'm fine with that. I don't think Taysom Hill's usage at quarterback has been enough to worry me that, you know, it's not like it was with Drew Brees at points where Taysom Hill would repeatedly come in and sort of like end up throwing those touchdown passes. So I'd be fine with that. But the Bears, they allow the fourth highest amount of drives to end in fantasy, uh, to end in points. They just they can't stop teams. I think, you know, they're seven and a half point underdogs in this game. And it's start all your Saints who you feel confident in. Chris Olave, you talked about in the Dynasty Rises and Fallers video, which is on the channel and people should check out. One touchdown, 517 yards. It feels like a get right spot, but I mean, it could just all end up being Kamara. Yeah, I think these Saints wide receivers are fascinating this week because it's Michael Thomas is just five receptions for 50 yards every week. It's you can, you know, take it to the bank. He's got no upside, but he's not going to burn you. Chris Olave is screaming regression. Every single thing you look at is saying this guy is due for a massive breakout. And then you've got Rashid Jaheed, who is maybe the most boom-bust player in fantasy right now. He's had three top 12 weeks. Every other week, he's finished outside the top 50. It's it's mad. I, I don't, short of like prime Will Fuller, I don't remember a guy that was this boom-bust and just can win your week and completely lose your week. Better in best ball, that's the term for that player. Yeah, absolutely. I want to hit you with one stat as well, Tom. Alvin Kamara, okay, receptions per game. He's currently at 7.8. There are four players in fantasy that are averaging more. Jamar Chase, Amarasit Brown, Adam Thielen and Stephon Dix. That is it. <laughs> if we're talking high floor, 
in terms of fantasy. Alvin Kamara is averaging eight points a week just in receptions. He doesn't even need to get any yards. That's just eight points a week in your bank. You can you can cash that straight away. It's absolutely wild how he's been used. And yeah, I think it's a, a very exciting matchup for him. Let's uh, let's dive into some comments and some questions, Tom. Cam saying he traded away Kamara for in rebuild for a second. Yeah, that's 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 pretty painful. Um, but yeah, I think you, he did the right thing. Like I mentioned on Twitter today, that like I thought Alvin Kamara looked washed last year. I thought the writing was on the wall when you considered all the things that we saw the Saints do this year, and taking the second probably felt better than you could have potentially ended up with like what a couple of thirds if things broke differently for him so it feels crappy but yeah I mean what can you do yeah absolutely I know there's one best ball team out there Tom where I convinced you should draft Alvin Kamara so uh at least you've got you've got one share that's that's earned you some money at the moment hopefully uh Paul Pickin friend of the show uh he's asking DJ Moore or Garrett Wilson this week I got Garrett Wilson, I think, uh, put out some stats on Twitter earlier about how Zach Wilson's throwing more to Garrett Wilson this year than he did last year. And it's not been incredible, but the Chargers are a team that I'll look to start wide receivers against every week. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, Garrett, Garrett Wilson, wide receiver eight for me this week. I think he's absolutely smashed. DJ Moore's in that sort of back-end wide receiver two um, territory. We're uh, going to... Dive across to the next matchup. But before we get there, if you're enjoying this content, we want to help you win fantasy titles. That is our one aim of doing this show. Hit that subscribe button and let us help you to win those titles. Arizona at Cleveland next. Big change at quarterback for both teams, potentially. We looks like it's going to be Clayton Toon against PJ Walker, but equally it could be Kyler Murray versus Deshaun Watson. Does that change things for you, depending on who he starts at quarterback, Tom? <laughs> it could be that Clayton Tune against PJ Walker might actually be a better matchup with how, you know, Murray's <laughs> coming back from the knee injury. Deshaun Watson's <laughs> been just atrocious for the last couple of years. Um, I think I'd probably feel... I don't know. I mean, PJ Walker's been okay. I think we've kind of seen enough for him that it's been fine. David Njoku's been better without Deshaun Watson over the course of the last two seasons. Njoku's averaging 11.04 PPR points without Watson, 8.3 per game with Watson. And I'll point you this out on Twitter. That's the difference between tight end 8 and tight end 18. It's such fine margins at the position. And what we've seen is Njoku is getting more targets from PJ Walker. So I'd feel better about starting him. Mari Cooper's a fringe starter for me every week. It's been frustrating because he is the wide receiver 41 in points per game. He doesn't seem to string back-to-back games together at any point. But I don't think there's anything about this Arizona team that scares anyone. When you look at the stats, you know, the Cardinals rank second worst in catch rate allowed to opposing wide receivers allowing 71% of targets to be caught, those catchable targets, and they allow the 10th most fantasy points per game to the position. So I'd be starting Mari Cooper here. I think you can play Mari Cooper as a one-off in DFS this week. Jerome Ford. Dealing with a high ankle sprain or low ankle sprain. 
you know, not able to play fully, but they still rolled him out there for some snaps. Uh, in terms of what you can play on the Arizona side of things, Cleveland allowed the third lowest amount of fantasy points to wide receivers, second lowest catch rate, only 51%. Cleveland allowed the fewest fantasy points to tight ends. They allowed the 11th fewest points to running backs. So as Paul says in the chat, just avoid all Cardinals this week unless you really have to. Even Trey McBride coming off a 25 PPR point game, I don't think you can start him against this Cleveland defense on the road. Yeah, I think the thing, the one player I want to touch on that I think you probably gave a little bit of short shift to, Jerome Ford, 22 of his 26 snaps last week were in the third and fourth quarter. When the game was on the line, when the Browns needed to try and win the game, they turned over to Jerome Ford. And I think that that speaks massively in terms of his potential fantasy implications moving forward. I think that he is still the 1A in this backfield. And I think that another week to hopefully get that ankle a little bit healthier, I'm expecting him to get an even bigger workload than he did last week. Yes, for DFS, it might not be a big enough workload to enter things like cash lineups and stuff like that. But in terms of your redraft, your dynasty lineups, I still think he's a solid, reliable RB2 this week and a guy that I'm I'm touching on. Also, yeah, Trent I mean, Bright. Oh, God. I was just going to say on that, I mean, the counter-argument against what I'd kind of said there would be to sort of say, okay, well, you look at the Cardinals last week and they just got absolutely destroyed on the ground by Gus Edwards. It was one of those kind of performances where they just couldn't stop the Ravens. The Ravens didn't run heavy in the first half of the game. Then the second half turned to it. You know, they've allowed the third most fantasy points per game to the running back position. They've also allowed an average of one touchdown per game to the running back position in just rushing production. There's only two teams worse than that in terms of touchdowns allowed per game. So, yeah, perhaps I'm skirting over Ford just a little bit, but... And at $200 cheaper than Hunt on DraftKings, it's probably an interesting play. Maybe he's one I'll get to over the weekend and add into the Discord. Yeah, and then Trey McBride. I mean, last week's usage was absolutely mental. It was the best single-game usage any tight end has seen this year. It was the most snaps he'd played so far this year. But to me, the biggest signal that I don't think I've heard anyone talk about this week, he lined up as a wide receiver 33 times last week. He hasn't broken 16 so far this year in terms of snaps as a, in the slaughter out wide. The fact that he is now not just a 70, 80% in-line guy, he's going to be used all over the field. That's amazing for his fantasy potential because we know those, those routes run from the slot are much more valuable than routes run in-line. So, yeah, very excited that Arizona finally using him as to be what they drafted him to be 18 months ago. Um, in the in another question from Josh in the chat, he's saying, uh, would you trade Lamar, Jacoby Myers and Rondell Moore for Jalen Hurts and DeAndre Hopkin? It is a 20-man redraft league. I, I don't think I would, but simply... And it, Lamar and Hurts is one for one for me, but I think the DeAndre Hopkins stuff, you're buying high on the back of last week, which was insane, and those weeks just aren't going to be like that. I think, yes, Jacoby Myers is probably going to struggle a little more with Aiden O'Connell, but I don't know. I mean, maybe, well, you've got Tyree Kill, Christian Kirk. It just feels like wide receiver isn't a massive need there in a 20. 
man redraft PPR. I don't know what you say, Rich. I think it's a pretty even deal. I think yeah. that like Hertz and Lamar are, are basically even, maybe Hertz slightly ahead. Myers and Georgia Hopkins are basically even. I think Hopkins is going to be a little bit more boom bust. I think Myers is going to be a little bit more consistent, but they'll probably end up around the same. And then you've got Rondell Moore as kind of the difference between Hertz and Lamar. So, yeah, I can easily argue both sides. In a 20-man league, I guess I'd go with the depth of the extra player um, and lean towards Lamar Myers and Rondell Moore. But honestly, I don't know what this trade is achieving, if I'm being brutally honest. And when I'm, that is, is my, one of my most common questions in the Discord whenever I'm being asked, what do you think of this trade? It's, what are you hoping to achieve? And looking at this, Josh, I, I don't really know what you're hoping to achieve. So I'd say maybe look for a different deal. We'll move across now, Washington at New England. Now, for me, I've been targeting Washington as a matchup for wide receivers for quarterbacks basically all year because they can't cover anyone. But now we've got New England who basically don't have a quarterback or a wide receiver that I want to touch. So are you touching this one or is this a matchup that you're avoiding? So, yeah, I mean, obviously we've lost Kendrick Bourne, who is ACL injury. Devontae Parker, I believe, is in concussion protocol, maybe. I might have got that wrong. But if he can't play, you're really talking Juju Smith-Schuster, who looks entirely washed, like to the point where it's incredible how much the Patriots moved on from Jacoby Myers, gave Juju Smith-Schuster a virtually identical contract, and they have got by far the worst player. Demario Douglas at 4K is going to be popular this week, simply because... The Patriots have consistently hyped him up, talked him up all through training camp. He seems to have done well. They've used him at points ahead of Keishon Butte, and it just seems like he is the player who is going to be on the field more. Realistically, you can probably lean towards Hunter Henry or Mike Gesicki if you're looking for a one-off. I think both of them probably see slightly more volume than they've seen at times this year. But for me, the interesting side of this is just the Washington side. We've seen Sam Howell. You know, he's a ta- uh, quarterback 11. He's very boom or bust occasionally. You know, he's not a quarterback that I'd want to build a franchise around. But in fantasy, it's working. You know, Jahan Dotson finally had a breakout game. He hadn't managed a single performance over 50 receiving yards, and then he had 108 last year as well as his second touchdown of the season. 27 DraftKings points. That was more than double what he'd had in any other game. And the one thing that you can see on screen there, New England ranked 29th first wide receiver twos. So they're top five against wide receiver ones. And this one just sets up for Jahan Dotson again. It also sets up for Logan Thomas because the Patriots rank 31st against tight ends in DVOA. They give up 7.7 yards per target to the position, which is ninth most. Logan Thomas, he's had that kind of uh, target share right around 20%, hovering between sort of 17 to 20, averages 5.7 targets per game, which is the 10th highest rate among tight ends. So I think you can play him, you can play Dotson. If you want to double stack them with Sam Howell, I don't mind it. I'm not sure I can quite get there on a slate with Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts myself, but... Yeah, and then if you want to run it back with Demario Douglas, that's probably the most interesting one, but I wouldn't feel like you necessarily had to put any Patriots on a stack on DFS this weekend. 
Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Now, I'm going to completely hijack the show and we're going to disappear into a little dynasty corner that I want to want to pick your brains on, Tom. Sam Howe is grossly overvalued in dynasty right now, okay? Washington is a tire fire. We've seen them trade away two potential, you know, very good defensive ends. I think they're going to bringing a new head coach next year. I think they're going to have a new offensive quarter next year. I think Josh Harris is basically going to rip this franchise up and build it from the ground up. You know, this is this is a guy that was heavily involved in the process uh, for basketball fans out there. I don't think Sab Howe is going to be the starting quarterback for Washington next year. Yet, I keep, like, I've put out a couple of tweets the last few weeks about, you know, quarterbacks that I think of got a starting spot quarterbacks that potentially could be out of contract and stuff like that and everyone keeps telling me that Sam Howell's a stud and Sam Howell's got that dog in him and he's he's gonna be great yeah Sam Howell's really useful and really good for fantasy right now you know he's a high-end QB2 he's great we always knew he was going to be great fantasy if he could keep the job but I don't think I've seen enough from Sam Howell to buy into him long term as a dynasty asset. So I've seen talks of people paying a first for Sam Howe right now. That seems absolutely wild. Please tell me you're with me and you're, you're, you're kind of out on Sam Howe as a long-term asset, or do you think that he's a player that could potentially have some value beyond this season? I think what it comes back to me for me is one very simple question. If you've spent over $6 billion on a sports team, are you really going to have Sam Howell be your quarterback of the future? And I think Ron Rivera has no time whatsoever. If Ron Rivera makes it through January with a job, I'll be absolutely flabbergasted. And I think that the team, yeah, if you're going to tear things down, if you're going to start accruing assets, then in my mind, they're already priming themselves ready to be able to make a move up the draft board, to be able to go and get a quarterback. And, I don't think Sam Howell is a bad player. I think Sam Howell has shown enough that he can play in this league for a number of years, be a backup, be one of these kind of players who is in and out of the lineup. But I haven't seen enough for me to have massive confidence in him and definitely not the kind of level of confidence where I would go out and trade for him in Dynasty. i got Dynasty Leagues where I lost Kirk Cousins this week and I would rather go out and trade for Baker Mayfield as a one-year rental than push my chips in on a first-round pick for Sam Howell. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it just comes back to me. There's a new head coach in Washington next year, for that, I'm sure. And I just can't see a world where a head coach is willing to tie his future and bet on Sam Howell as the long-term franchise quarterback. So, yeah, I think grossly overvalued. And I think if you can get a first for Sam Howell now, Absolutely snatch that right up. Talking of quarterback changes, we've got two teams that have seen drastic quarterback changes. Obviously, slightly different ends of the spectrum. The horrific injury to Kirk Cousins and then Desmond Ritter finally benched for Taylor Heineke. Do you think that the Taylor Heineke could potentially bring out some more fancy relevance from, should we call it the three-headed monster that is the uh, high-drafted players for, for Atlanta? Well, first of all, shout out to Kyle Pitts, who's now the tight end 15 in points per game. He finally took over Johnny Smith, who was the tight end 16 in points per game. So the wave has already turned. Kyle Pitts is cashing in on all those kind of taking him first overall in dynasty startup leagues 
that's fine. Um, but in seriousness, this move needed to be made. Desmond Ritter was absolutely toilet over the last month. I think Arthur Smith can bemoan and bitch and complain and talk down to reporters all he likes, but sooner or later he had to accept that the team was had too many good offensive players to keep going out there and putting that there. Taylor Heineke, I don't think either of us have ever been particularly huge fans of Taylor Heineke, but I, I was I was a pretty big fan of his his first season starting in Washington. I was okay. I was pretty all in. Um, I, I, yeah, I had so. the wrong way. I thought you were down on Taylor Heineke, but okay. So what we've seen from Taylor Heineke, I mean, he was more functional and a better quarterback than Carson Wentz last year, which isn't a high bar to clear. The team thought he was a better option than Sam Howell in all through Sam Howell's rookie year until the point where Taylor Heineke went and told the coaches that they should start Sam Howell in the last game of the season. He understands the locker room. You know, he talked about after the game about how this was still Desmond Ridder's team. And when I see that from a player, I just know that he's going to understand which players he should be getting the ball to. Part two, technical issues curtailed part one, but we are here to talk some Indianapolis Colts at the Carolina Panthers. Tom, Bryce Young not pushing the ball downfield, league low, 5.6% of his attempts are more than 20 yards downfield. Is that putting a, a... break on this offense right now or or do you think that there's some uh, glimmering lights that that could be something more to come he's looked a bit better at times definitely over the last couple of weeks i think it's definitely not as bad as it looked early on in the season i think now we're seeing uh, bryce young has been a top 20 quarterback in the last three games he's played which makes him at least usable in superflex formats I think when you're talking about the passing game, yeah, there's just absolutely nothing there apart from Adam Phelan. Tuba Hubbard is far more impressive right now than Miles Sanders, so at least the team have made that decision and they've gotten on with it so that things look like they'll progress there. You know, Tuba's had back-to-back games with 70% of, of uh, running back opportunities or more. Miles Sanders would have been averaging 17.2 touches per game through the first four, and that dropped all the way down to four, uh, sorry, two total touches last week. So I'd feel much better about starting Tuba than I would anyone outside of Adam Phelan. On the Colts side of things, I think, you know, you look at what they're doing, they've allowed, on terms of defense, they've allowed 8.5 yards per reception to running backs, which isn't an area that Tuba Hubbard's been fantastic at, but it's an area that he's been you know, okay in. So I think he could capitalize there. The Colts will have fifth most fantasy points to running backs, second most running back rushing touchdowns per game at 1.4. The only team who allow more are the Panthers. So I'm interested in Zach Moss. I'm interested in Jonathan Taylor for this game. I think both of them could have good, good games. I'm not sure I'd try and get funky and start both of them in any sort of like uh, DFS format, but I don't mind taking shots at Jonathan Taylor in particular this week. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Josh Downs this week? He seems to be creeping up in price every single week. He has been balling out since Gardner Minshew has been under centre. Is he a guy that's hitting that point where he's getting a little bit too expensive to, to get into those lineups? No, I think Josh Downs at 5,200 is completely fine. I think um, particularly against a team who 
you know, the Panthers, we don't expect a lot from. What we've seen from the Colts is that they play fast. And when you play fast, there tends to be plenty of points to go around. The Panthers have allowed the uh, 12th most fantasy points per to wide receivers. They've allowed the uh, 10th most wide receiver yards per game, uh, 174. So I think that there's plenty of reasons why you can keep playing him. I think when you look at yards per reception, they've allowed the 9th most per game. So... Definitely no warning signs on Josh Downs. I think you can keep playing him. He's probably going to be quite popular. What I'd imagine is that Josh Downs is more popular than Michael Pittman, so I wouldn't mind actually playing Michael Pittman in tournaments to try to get a bit of leverage there. Nice little hit. Uh, we, we touched on a little bit of Raiders talk earlier in the show, but obviously huge changes with the Raiders. New head coach, new offensive coordinator. Are we expecting them basically to get this offense right or is losing the play caller and the offensive coordinator going to have a disastrous effect on this uh, Raiders offense, do we think? It says everything about the Giants, but the Raiders are actually favored in this game despite everything <laughs> they've done. <laughs> so I mean, if this was a tougher opposition, it would be possibly easier to kind of like say okay well this isn't a week to start the Raiders but Josh Jacobs should get going we talked before about Aiden O'Connell's one start Devontae Adams out targeting Jacoby Myers 13 to 4 so I think you can start Devontae Adams I wouldn't be starting the likes of Michael Mayer I probably wouldn't even be starting Jacoby Myers unless I had to Josh Jacobs sooner or later he's going to get going this feels like a team that for now they didn't want to trade him at the deadline. I don't know whether that was just due to incompetence or not, but apparently the Ravens were involved, but the Raiders wanted at least a second-round pick, so nothing materialised. But if you're going to hand on, hang on to Josh Jacobs, at least ride him whilst you're bringing in Aiden O'Connell, who you know looks okay, and by all accounts, the Raiders staff said that he's the running back who gives them, uh, the quarterback who gives them the best chance to win this season. So, yeah, I think... On that side of things, it's fairly cut and dry. I mean, Aiden O'Connell is very cheap on DraftKings. You see there on screen, uh, or no, sorry, I've got it in front of me. Aiden O'Connell is 4,500, which probably brings him into consideration for DraftKings because it's rare you get a quarterback that cheap. On the other side of the ball, I mean, it's just miserable for the Giants. You look at it, Saquon's RB9, Waller was tight end 10, Jones QB 30. No Giants wide receiver has finished inside the top 20 any given week. Only three have finished inside the top 40 on a given week. There is nothing going on. We saw it last week when Waller left the game that the only plan is to give Saquon the ball. Saquon had 39 touches. No other player this year has had over 34. In 2022, there were only two instances where players had over 34 touches per game. But it didn't even really matter for Barkley last week. He only had 15.8 points. Hopefully this week he can get going because the Raiders aren't a tough defense against a run. Uh, you look at what they do. They rank 22nd against pass catching running backs in DVOA. They've given up the fourth most fantasy points to position as a whole. And they've given up the third highest rushing yards per game to running backs at 120. So I'd like to think Saquon Barkley could have a good game this week. He is 7,900 on DraftKings, which might put people off. People will be preferring to play Kamara, but I think in tournaments, there's some upside to try to play him. Yeah, and the play you've not mentioned, Wondell Robinson, I think 
I like the talent. I like the potential usage, but the ADOT is just criminal. You know, you can see on screen there, 3.5 average depth of target. At that ADOT, he needs to be getting eight, nine targets a game to be a reliable option. Unfortunately, he's not getting that volume. And unless we start seeing some downfield targets, he's just not a startable option right now because the volume's not there and the high volume, high quality touches aren't there. So he's just a player you're basically having to stay away from, which is which is painful because the talent's there and the opportunity is, is absolutely there. Moving towards some of the, the bigger names, later evening games, we've got Dallas at Philadelphia, obviously a massive divisional game. This feels like this could be the one that a lot of people are penciling in and targeting for those those heavy stacks for that sort of tournament lineup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is the one which you just your eyes get drawn to it straight away. It's one of the higher over-unders of the slate, and it's not a particularly pretty slate. You look at what the Eagles do defensively. They allow the most wide receiver points per game, 46.5. The next nearest team is 42 points per game, so it's a big leap. They just haven't been able to stop players like they were last year. Last year, they were just stomping teams, and now their secondary just isn't capable of it at the minute. I think that C.D. Lamb is absolutely set up for another big game. What we saw from him over the last couple of weeks has been fantastic. It's the kind of performances we wanted to see. Uh, he's been averaging uh, 65 yards per game in his career against Philadelphia, but now his Eagles secondary allowing 91.4 yards per game to wide receiver ones. Lamb had 44 points last week, caught 12 of 14 targets, 158 yards, touchdown. The week before that, he was 7 of 7, caught every single target that week and had 117 yards. So he seems to have kind of turned the corner slightly. I'd have every confidence in starting him. I think if you're looking for another wide receiver from the Cowboys, I'd be more tempted to start Michael Gallup than Brandon Cooks. It feels like that outside matchup is the one we want to be targeting. Uh, and then... I like starting Jake Ferguson as well. The Eagles allow fourth highest catch rate to opposing tight ends, allowed fourth most touchdowns to the position at 0.5 per game. And we saw Ferguson last week of perfect four for four, 47 yards and a touchdown. He was on the field constantly. I think he ran a route on 85% of dropbacks. So I like him. Tony Pollard, man, I mean, this one hurts. Like, Tony Pollard was so fun last year, but his efficiency is just way down. You can see on the screen, 3.9 yards per carry versus 5.3 in 2022. They're running him up the gut more often, which isn't what you want to do with a player like Tony Pollard. You want to be bouncing him outside, letting him get that kind of speed under him. And then on the Eagles side, I mean, you just kind of start everyone, despite this being a tough matchup. Devonta Smith last week at 7 for 99 and a touchdown. First 20-point game since week two. The Cowboys, they rank fourth best in DVOA versus wide receiver ones, but 11th best versus wide receiver twos. So their weakness is more the kind of Devonta Smith area of the game. AJ Brown, you're not benching a guy who's just put up 700 yards and five touchdowns in a month. And Dallas Goddard, I don't know, man. Like I've got Dallas Goddard on my home team, and it's uh, it's not been pretty. Two top twelve performances all season, but when he gets going in this offense, it's going to be good. You'd imagine he just seems to be not clicking quite the same way he did last year. And then, lastly, in terms of the running backs, 
And you absolutely start DeAndre Swift. Gamewell had that red zone fumble last week. And then Nick Sirianni this week made a point of referring to Kenneth Gamewell as being the team's RB2. It's all set up for Swift, who, you know, isn't always looking incredible, but is doing more than enough to be your RB2 on an average team. So, yeah, pretty, pretty explosive one on paper. Hopefully it lives up to that. Yeah, I think in in your you know managed leagues, it's about trying to get as many of these guys in the lineup as possible. I think that over under could potentially get exciting and uh, and hopefully tick that over. I think the, the the thing I wanted to touch on was the Dallas Cowboys usage of their wide receivers. We've seen CD Lamb throughout his career in Dallas be used heavily out of the slot as that kind of movable piece to get favorable matchups and be a high target volume. The last couple of weeks. That's changed. You know, this last week he saw the highest number of snaps out wide that he has so far this season. He is murphing into a true X receiver that's still going to get some slot snaps, still going to get that high volume touches and, you know, option routes and, and force the ball down the seam. But he's being used outside downfield, which is only going to be a good thing for his fancy value. It does mean that Michael Gallup's natural role in the offense as that ex-outside receiver is kind of dissipating. And I do wonder if we're going to maybe start to see someone like Jalen Tolbert. He had a season in high snap share last week. Is he going to start to get on the field and use that speed as another option? But yeah, CeeDee Lamb, I think it's wheels up. And I think that he could have a phenomenal back end of the year this year and potentially be a league winner for people that invested that back-end first-round pick that uh, in those redraft leagues we were hoping to. If you are watching this on pre uh, on record, not live, you can still get your questions in. Tom and I work through every single comment we receive. We will answer 100% of your questions, whether it be start sits, trade questions, dynasty questions, whatever you want, get them in. Tom and I will answer them throughout the week. Moving to the late games, Tom. The DeMar Hamlin game, it feels like we're going to be talking about that for the next few days. I still can't get my head around why they've put this as an island game in the evening. I felt like they maybe should have buried it somewhere. But Buffalo at Cincinnati, could this be a really interesting explosive one or do you think this is going to be a defensive battle? I think there's enough there for me to feel pretty interested in attacking this game aggressively in showdown slates. Normally I only play like one or two teams in showdown slates, but the Bills defense isn't good enough that we have to be worried about them at all. You mentioned earlier on how Jamar Chase is leading the league in targets and receptions right now. He's absolutely dominating with 12.1 targets per game. He's the only player over 11.3. So we know where the ball is going there. The Bills their defense, like I mentioned, they're underperforming. They're banged up a little bit. They've not been fantastic all year. So I'd be starting Jamar Chase confidently as a captain in showdown. Dalton Kincaid is, though, really interesting because the Bengals ranked 29th against tight ends. We saw that with Dawson Knox out of the lineup, he's seen this jump to 19% target share. It's been very impressive. He looked like the player that they kind of wanted to get going. We saw him getting those kind of designed runs around the goal goal line you know those kind of scheme touches and it didn't quite work out but he still found his way into the end zone so i'd be very interested in starting Dalton kincaid as a captain on showdown slates i think if you've got james cook 
it's time to be worried. You know, we've seen really disappointing usage over the last few weeks, kind of regressed at points. We saw Latavius Murray getting touches, and now you've got Leonard Fournette, who teams know can pass protect, teams know can be a short yardage kind of guy. And it just doesn't seem like that's something that they view James Cook as. He has one rushing touchdown, 15 red zone rush attempts. It's it's not what you want to see from a player when you feed the ball to him that many times. So it's tricky. On the other side of things, Joe Burrow absolutely looked back last week. I mean, you know, we shouldn't have any questions about Joe Burrow going forward. Like, he just looks fantastic. Yeah, I think the interesting thing I want to talk about is this Buffalo offense. It completely changed last week. Dawson Knox was injured. We saw them basically roll out 11 personnel. And the way they've used their wide receivers has completely switched. We saw Khalil Shakir get interested. If they're going to row forward, he's got the chance to be fantasy relevant moving forward. But the biggest player it changed for was Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis's average depth of the target so far this year 18.8, Last week, his average depth for target was 6.0, and he saw a season-high 12 targets. He's no longer just a pure deep threat. He saw high target volume used in interesting ways underneath, and that put out one of his best fantasy performances of the season. If he is going to be used in this way moving forward, he suddenly not just the boom bus Gabe Davis that we always thought he was. He's suddenly a plug and play wide receiver two, wide receiver three, and a really interesting player that you could potentially go out and buy right now before people realize that his usage has completely switched. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been a Gabe Davis fan for a little while. I think too many people hold held on to his performances last year and the fact that he played through a high ankle sprain and held it against him. And yes, his ADP did get a little bit nuts last year, but Gabe Davis, it's time to just embrace what we're seeing from him and what we're seeing is very good. Yeah, absolutely. The final matchup of the week, the game you all are here to hear us talk about. Of course, it's the Chargers against the phenomenal Zach Wilson-led New York Jets, Tom. Is it just a case of don't start anyone in this game because it's going to be woeful? I mean, as somebody who was a really big, you know, aggressive drafter of Keenan Allen this offseason, it's been very disappointing to see him drop down to wide receiver 41 and wide receiver 30 in his last two performances. Justin Herbert, it just seems like he got back into his head and was doing the kind of things he did last year. Last week, he had 30 passes under 10 yards. And yes, he completed 27 of them, but he had the second lowest air yards per attempt of his career. And that's not what we want. We want to see him driving the ball downfield. And perhaps without Mike Williams and perhaps with Josh Palmer beat up, they felt like they just couldn't do that. But we need to see that from Justin Herbert. We can't be... He's too good a quarterback to be having a dink and dunk quarterback like him. So hopefully they push it a little bit more this week. Um, But yeah, we talked about it earlier in the first part of our preview. The Jets... They're a very good pass defense, even despite everything that's been going on. They've been excellent. But they do allow the eighth most fantasy points to running backs. They're a run funnel. They don't allow points to wide receivers, but they do to running backs. So if I was playing a showdown game on this one, I'd probably be looking at Austin Eckler as captain. I think you can start Garrett Wilson with a reasonable level of confidence. Yes, it's not his ceiling, which we know he's capable of, but... He is averaging 14 PPR points per game. 
it's up from like eight PPR points per game that he got with Zach Wilson last year. So I'd be fine with him. And then Brees Hall, I mean, your boy Brees, you talked about it on Monday night on the Dynasty Rises and Fallers show. What Brees is doing right now is fantastic and he deserves to be absolutely at the top of rankings constantly. Yeah, I mean, three top six weeks in the trot. As you can see on screen there, 36% targets per run is absolutely wild. This Chargers defense is pretty woeful. They allow a lot of yards through the air, and I think that Brees Hall could be a, a movable chess piece, shall we say, for the Jets' offense. Um, the wide receivers for the LA Chargers, I think Keenan Allen's going to get his, but there's no way that I can enter Quinton Johnston or Josh Palmer if he's fit into a lineup. I think that the Jets are so good that they're not going to see the volume in order to make them fantasy relevant. So, yeah, they're definitely low. The interesting guy I guess I want to touch on, Donald Parham. Do we have to talk about it? If Gerald Everett's injured, I feel like I say this every week, the Jets cannot cover tight ends at all. If Gerald Everett is injured, I know he's questionable at the moment, Donald Parham could be a really interesting kind of plug-and-play tight end. He's a bit touchdown boom bust but if you need to go off the waiver wire or or maybe a, an enabler in the showdown slate maybe Donald Parham's the guy what do you think Tom? Yeah Parham's an interesting player like I remember watching Parham in the I think it was the XFL or the AAF one of the two of them um, but he's kind of he flashes they really seem to trust him in the red zone he's had four touchdowns this year which you know, if if you gave four touchdowns to Kyle Pitts, we'd all be thinking of him quite differently. Um, he's had three finishes inside the top 11, and it's no coincidence that all of those have come when he has scored touchdowns. Like, if you look at his yardage per week, he's had 0, 4, 7, 9, 19, 21, and 43. 43 coming last week without Gerald Everett in the lineup. So I don't think that he's somebody... I'd be excited to play, but if you need somebody, if we get to games late and suddenly your tight end gets ruled out and you need to scrabble on waiver wires, that's probably somebody I'd be okay plugging and playing. But yeah, I think I just see the running backs and pretty much that's about it in this game, really. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Well, that's it for this week. That is the slate. If you're watching this as part two and you've not watched part one, we had a technical issue halfway through, so dive across, watch part one. That's got all the big matchups, all those earlier games. But if you are watching, you've not hit the thumbs up, you've not hit that subscribe button, do that right now. And remember, if you still want your questions answered, we will answer 100% of your questions leading up to the games on Sunday. Get them in the comments below, and either Tom or I will give you an answer, whether that be redraft, DFS, Dynasty, whatever you want. We've got you covered. Keep it here and uh, we will be back very soon. Tom's got some DFS content coming for you before the weekend. And best of luck in your matchups.